Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. It is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, Usually when I go out of town, if it's a place that I've not preached before and haven't preached this, there's a really good chance that one night we'll look at Mark chapter 5. But I've had it on my mind this week, I think kind of for different reasons, and so uh, just uh, have no doubt this is where God wants us today. And so let's begin our reading in Mark chapter 5. We will begin in Verse 1, and I would just say this, Jesus has just stilled the storm at sea, and now he is about to steal the storm in a man's soul. It says that they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes, and when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling. That's, that's where he lived. He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs, and in the mountains and gashing himself, cutting himself with stones and seeing Jesus from a distance. He ran up and bowed down before him. Proskuneo is the word for bowed down. That is our word for worship. Just an incredible sight. Unbelievable that this man is bowing and worshiping Jesus Christ. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, part of the time the man speaks for himself, part of the time the demons inside the man are speaking for him. You may be able honestly to relate. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, well, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran away and 
reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described it to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began, here's another odd spot in the text. They began to implore him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, but he said to him, or he did not let him, but said to him, go home to your people you can translate that friends, you can translate that family. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. The actual movie Braveheart takes William Wallace out of context, but on the 11th of September, 1297, William Wallace, who was fighting for uh, the bridge at Sterling, looked at his men, and he did say to them in a speech he gave to motivate them when they said that we are going to die, he says, we will all wind up dead. It's just a question of how and why. And then he did say those famous words that every man dies, but not every man lives. And I would say to you today that if we could look into each other's hearts, and, and since we can't, I would uh, implore you, that seems to be the word of the text, I would implore you to look inside at your own heart because we can look there. And I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, there are things that go on in there that just bring us a lot of discontent. There's a lot of ways in which we can relate to this man in this passage. As a matter of fact, a lot of us, as men especially, and I'd say everyone, but We've never really fully lived. We know we're going to die, but really the death in us started a long time ago, and maybe it was a disappointment, maybe it was some kind of um, issue where someone hurt us deeply, maybe it was a bad experience in a relationship, maybe there's some kind of addiction going on in your life or whatever it may be. I can just tell you a lot of us have yet to ever live the life that Christ really intended for us to live. And I would say one other quick truth here. The main significant truth, the most important truth in this story is that we understand this could be any of us. We have to see beyond the yelling the nakedness, the cutting with stones and all of that. We have to stop looking at this story as if, boy, that was an extraordinary circumstance and, and that was really a, a different kind of situation and, 
and wow, it just seems unbelievable. No, I think we have to look at this uh, passage and look at this man in these caves and say, that could be me right there. As a matter of fact, we may need to look at him and say, that is me right there. Because when you just cut through all of, all of the, the things that just seem incredible, you, what you find is you find, it, you find in a lot of us, and that's self-destructive behavior, he was his own worst enemy. Matter of fact, Matthew tells a story, and he says there were two of them. Mark just mentions one. Remember that. If Mark has one, Matthew will usually have two, and that happens quite a few times when the healing of the blind men, different things like that. But Mark is real matter of fact. He's like, no, I want you to know what Jesus can do to a man that has been absolutely possessed and owned by wickedness all his life and yet now, Jesus Christ can deliver him. But here's a guy who's self-destructive. And when you confront him about it, he becomes violent and agitated. And it says he was constantly suffering, night and day. There, there might have been times of levity. I, I don't know. I, I, I can only imagine that he had to find some measure of rest, but it really says, no, constantly he was, he was suffering and Notice how he was also isolated. Sometimes we like to have some of that in our lives. And, and, and we, we like hanging out with dead people because they don't speak. They don't, they don't give us advice. They don't tell us what we ought to do with our lives. So the tombs is a great place to live. Hang out with people who will never correct you, who will never offer you advice, who will never speak into your life. And when someone tries to, when someone shows up on your shore or on your coastline that may could help you, then you feel the demons within you began to rage. You began to protect your place of isolation. I, I can just tell you, this is the story of us a lot of times. He had countless conflicting evil impulses. We call it demon possession. Sometimes English translations will, uh, will use the words demon possessions, but actually in the original text, that's just not a term that's ever used. But we know that the demons were agitating this man. They lived in this man. And certainly we could say in our language, yes, they were possessing this man. Now, I want to start by just telling you this. There are some things that happen when Jesus shows up right in the middle of the devil's chaos. There's some things that we encounter. Here is a man who is desperate for deliverance. And Jesus is going to show up, and I, I have to warn you, it's not always pleasant. There are a lot of people that they, they, they have... They, they, don't, they don't like that very much. They, they'd like to see this healing take place in a more peaceful, pleasant kind of way. But I will tell you, when the devil is nearby and doing his work and the power of God comes near, it is not going to be a peaceful meeting. There may be screaming, there may be shouting, there may be agony, there may be torment that takes Place. It is two different worlds all together that are about to clash in this poor man's soul. The good news is we know when we get to the end that he could join us in 
singing, it is well with my soul. But let's see how it all comes about. When, when, when God shows up, sometimes when he comes to bring deliverance, we find, and I don't know if we'll get further than this or not today, but we find an uncontrollable person. In verses 2 through 5, I could just give you a quick rundown, but I, I want to look at verse 2 especially. It says he had an unclean spirit. So let's get this straight right off the bat. His problem may have manifested itself in a lot of ways, but his real problem was a spiritual issue. It was a spiritual issue, and that's not a cop-out. That's not dodging what's really going on. That's not trying to circumvent professional care or help. You know me better than that. I'm just telling you the man's root problem, his real issue was a spiritual issue. As a matter of fact, it was Blaise Pascal. I don't know, maybe you, I hope you were heard about him in school. I hope you guys in high school are hearing about men like Francis Bacon and Rene Descartes and John Locke and and Newton and Galileo, you probably heard at least of the last two, but the thing I would say about these brilliant men, some mathematicians, some scientists in other fields, they were Christians. They were Christians, and we don't hear a lot about it. As a matter of fact, Blaise Pascal, whom I'm about to quote, invented the calculator, and you'd think, wow, that would have been back in 1950. No, you could say 1850. No, you could say 1750. No, you'd have to go to 1650. And he was a teenager when he put together the first mechanical calculator to help his dad, who was in business, to keep up with his money. The man was brilliant. He was by trade a mathematician, but he was also a theologian. And he and Rene Descartes, he was Cartesian, uh, if you want the technical term for it, in his theology. But he believed what Rene Descartes said. He said that there is a mind and then there's the brain. But the mind is separate from the brain. The mind is independent of the body. And we hear a lot about that nowadays from guys like Frank Turek and people like that. But I want to tell you that's not a new idea. The mind is different from the brain. We have a mind where we think and we, we uh, process information and and we have reasoning going on. And, and so it's an old thought that Pascal and Descartes both uh, embrace. But, but Pascal said this, inside of every human being is a God-shaped vacuum. And he said, if we don't fill that God-shaped vacuum with God, then we will spend our lives in torment and travail trying to figure out how to find peace. That is what is missing inside of human beings. It is a relationship with God. That's what we need. Uh, in the Gulag Archipelago, I know you're thinking, man, you're taking us to back to class today. I'm not qualified, but I do read a lot. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this, that the battle line between good and evil, it doesn't run through political boundaries or national boundaries. He said the good line, or the line between good and evil runs straight through the heart of every human being on the earth. It's right here. 
And sometimes in our hearts we have good things, and sometimes in our hearts we have bad. And I can tell you that struggle is very, very real. And if we don't address that, then we as human beings are, are like this man or worse. As a matter of fact, when you look at our world in America, I hear people say things like our prisons, are they're, they're just too full. And the answer that they have for that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Let's open the doors and empty them out. And we do have more people in prison in America than any industrialized nation, but here's why that's not a problem. We have more freedoms and more opportunities in this industrialized nation than any nation in the world. And when you give human beings freedom, then I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. If they don't have that vacuum filled with the presence and power of God, you're going to get criminals and a lot of them. You may not agree, it's okay. I'd say instead of having too many in prison, we have about half enough right now. And I'm not wishing that on people. But I am telling you, we have wickedness in our society that is off the chart. Emily Cowell, just stay with me. I'll be done in a little bit, we'll go eat. She wrote an article for um, the Heritage Foundation. I came across, wanted just to read you a statement that she made. She says, but in modern day America, and she was talking about the problem of wickedness and the problem of crime. She says, few statements can raise eyebrows more swiftly than expressing faith in the transcendent. Transcendent means that there's something besides us. See, our world thinks there's nothing but us. It's just us. And we got to fix these issues, and there's nothing outside of us, and we just put all our minds together, and we'll come up with something. She says, nothing raises eyebrows more swiftly than for you to mention God or, or the power of, of the Creator or a relationship with Jesus Christ. She went on and says, we can change in our world the home temperature with the touch of a finger. Matter of fact, I'm going to add to this because I'm so, such a techno whiz. Some of you can change the temperature at your house right now from where you're sitting, can you not? Yeah. I, I don't know how to do mine, but I know it's possible. And I know I'm supposed to know how to do mine. But we can do all of those things with the push of a button. She says, then it's no surprise that in the aftermath of, and she talked about the Parkland tragedy, I think 17 people were, were killed. We fixate on a material solution. Where, where is the button you push for this, in other words? She says, like gun control. And we think that will solve what we assess to be a material problem. She says, in fact, and listen to this, the Parkland shooter Nicholas Cruz told investigators that the voices of devils told him to shoot his classmates. But we don't listen to things like that. We start looking for buttons to push legislation to pass. We look to our politicians to save us. 
It's like having lifeguards that can't swim. We have issues there are no buttons for. And we're going to have to finally admit that. Verse 3 says he lived among the tombs. He's isolated. In our world today, we would call him homeless. And don't you dare take what I'm about to say the wrong way. I could give you a lot of history about myself and the homeless, and the only reason I even say that is because I don't want you to think that I don't care about those people. Some of you have known me long enough to know that I do. But I can tell you that a lot of people are like this man. They're isolated from their families. This, who knew he had a family till the very end? Do you think the people around there thought this guy had a house? They just saw him living in the tombs. They figured he's homeless, he's in need and stuff, and he, he got a bum deal, he got laid off from work or whatever. He's got a family somewhere, and Jesus sends him home to his family once he is healed. I can tell you there are people on our streets that don't want to be there and are trying hard to get off of them. But a lot of people on our streets are living where they are for the same reason this man is living where he is. He is living among the tombs because he's got a spiritual issue inside of him that has already isolated him from his family. It finally took the toll on one too many marriages. Maybe it finally took away any respect his kids ever had for him. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was like. I'm, I'm just trying to guess. But I, I, I just want you to think about this. In our modern world today, if we came across this guy, think of the solutions that people would offer. We'd say, boy, if we could just get him out of that cemetery. Or if we could put some clothes on him. That's what he needs. He was He was naked. We need to get that man some clothes. Let's take out some money at church and buy him some clothes. You think clothes would fix his problem? You think putting him in a brand new home is going to fix his problem? Maybe we could legislate that, that, that sharp rock should be harder to come by. None of that would work for the same reason it doesn't work today. The problem is a spiritual issue that only God can fix. Verse 3, it says, they could not bind him anymore. It's, it's progressive. They had tried to bind him. It sounds like at one time it worked, but they just keep lopping chains and shackles on him, and, and they just try to hold him down. They finally gave up on trying to fix the guy. They, they, they know for some reason that just seems to be impossible. Let's just try to keep him subdued. We have no answers for the situation that he is in. And, and I can just tell you, if, if, if you keep thinking in your minds, and I think sometimes we do, and we all have hope, and I do, I hope our nation does get better. I hope our economy uh, does do well. But I can tell you, I read just this week in a New York magazine, and of course I don't adhere to much they have to say, but I can tell you this, that, that the opioid epidemic, it, it burst wide open in this country when we were at the height of economic blessing, when the median wage was higher than it may have been in ever the history of the United States. So whatever happens in 2024 or whatever happens after that or between now and then, I, I can just tell you, we're getting worse, not better. And I know you're thinking, man, I'm glad I came today. 
because I feel really good. Just hang in there, okay? It gets better. Verse 4 said he had often been bound. Problem they didn't understand was he already had chains. He was already bound by something that was much stronger than anything they had to offer. Man, what a picture of our world today. And we keep throwing money and ideas at something that spits them in our face. Our problem is spiritual. He was also hurting himself. Verse 5 says, cutting himself. Man, just think about that, the self-destructive behavior. It's off the charts today, and sometimes it can be the same in our own hearts and lives. I, I, I struggle myself with, with discipline and all of that, and I, I don't like uh, how I feel a whole lot of days. But sometimes it's not that, that I eat too much just because I'm hungry. It, it, it's, it's because maybe I just need a, a feel good or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to be as transparent with you as I possibly can be because it's not that I want you to analyze me today. I want you to take a look at yourself, and I want you to know I'm willing to do the same. We're killing ourselves. Just think about what if you had a condition that was so bad that if pigs had it, they would immediately commit suicide. I'd say that's pretty bad. I'd say it's pretty bad. We have uncontrollable people in our world. I forgot what I read this week where, where this was, but someone was talking about we have to tone down the rhetoric. We have to stop talking about wicked people and talk about wicked problems, and then the conversation will be much more peaceful and pleasant. I agree. It would be more peaceful and pleasant, but it would also be just as ineffective as all the stuff we're doing now. If you notice in the news the way they frame everything, a minivan hits and kills 10 people on the street. Not some guy in a minivan who's trying to kill people. We talk about the problem of rape. We don't talk about rapists. We talk about the problem of murder. We talk about subway killings as if the subway just leaves the track and just wipes them out as they stand there to board. We don't talk about wicked people. And here's why we don't. Because politicians don't have a solution for wicked people. They deal with problems. Better housing, better education, better neighborhoods. No, we have a problem with wicked people. And only God can fix that. Well, I'm glad I live long enough to get to this point because it gets better from here, okay? I'd hate to leave you like that. I'd worry about you from heaven. Not a lot, because I don't think you worry much up there. But there was an unexpected response. It says, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. I've already told you, proskuneo is a word that means that he worshiped him. Who in the world would have ever thought this guy would have ever cared a thing about worshiping Jesus Christ? 
Here is another warning for us today. You be careful when you decide who you think is about ready to be saved and who you think is probably never going to be saved. Because I can tell you, there are people out there that, man alive, they may look like 10 miles of bad road. They may look like hoodlums. They may be tattooed up one side and down the other and stuff all hooked in here and there and looks like a fishing lure around their head or whatever. And you might think, boy, that's just a waste of time and get them out of here. I want to tell you, that might be the very person that if they ever really meet Jesus, that they might fall right down before him. And cry out and worship him. And there are others in nice, big, dignified suits that can't shut their mouth and from criticizing everybody else, and they don't have time for to help anybody else or care about God because they can't get off their high horse long enough. And that person liable to die and go to hell in eleven dollar eleven hundred dollar Italian suit. can tell you, this guy, of all people, ran and worshiped Jesus. Maybe he had never seen Jesus. I, 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 you know, that's the problem. A lot of people have been to church and didn't see Jesus. They saw us. As a matter of fact, a lot of people who come to church, they meet one of two groups of people. The first group that they might meet instead of Jesus uh, are the ones that's going to judge them and just leap guilt and shame on them. Uh, and when I talk about judging, I'm not talking about saying, though, their behavior is okay and all of that. No, 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 no. I'm talking about people that we look at sometimes and we decide that, man, God doesn't want that person or care about that person because we don't want that person and we don't care about that person. And I can tell you, there's still a lot of that kind of hypocrisy that goes on in our churches today. Racism, it's still a problem. Still a problem. Sad that it is, but they either meet that group or nowadays there's a new group they might meet that may be even more deadly, and those are the ones who condone being crippled and sick. They would tell this guy, hey, there's a group of us running around naked people cut ourselves with stone chapters, and we meet every Tuesday night, and we'd love to have you come. We don't ever get better but we feel like we belong. And we're demand next week we're marching in Washington. The marching naked thing won't be new, but maybe cutting ourselves with rocks will be. We're going to march in Washington and we're going to demand. As a matter of fact, we're going over to Pastor Snellgrove, that church where he pastors, and we're going to demand that they accept us as naked and raging and mad and violent and ticked off and, and cutting ourselves and hurting people and breaking chains. We're going to demand that they accept us just the way we are. That may be the most dangerous group that you might meet. Number three, when God shows up where the devil's been, I like that. When God shows up where the devil's been, there's an unlimited power we see. He says in verse 7, and shouting with a loud voice, he says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I think that is so interesting. Most people didn't believe a word that Jesus said. His disciples are still wondering, really, are you the one, or maybe is, you really are the Messiah, or, or, or are you? Or 
Or, or are you the one? Should we look for another? John the Baptist will later ask all of that. But it seems to me that these demons inside this man knew exactly who that was that stepped his foot on that shore. They might have all seen some little Jewish fellow just getting out of a boat. But I can tell you the demons inside this man saw something else. They knew the one that stood his foot on that shore is the one that created it. He is the son of the Most High God. And he can run us out of here and send us anywhere he wants to. <laughs> they call him Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I think it is interesting, and I think it's William Barclay who tells us this. I'm not sure. But when they call him by his name, and that day to call someone by their name meant that you had some sort of casual type of relationship with him. You know that the Jews would never say the word Yahweh. They still won't. Uh, the Orthodox Jews won't to this very day because they believed that to say somebody's name made it too impersonal or, or too personal or made it uh, too casual. So they would never say the covenant name for God. It would always translate Lord is Adonai when they got to the word Yahweh in the Old Testament. So these demons let Jesus know that we know your name. <laughs> Notice what Jesus did. He said, well, what's your name? I see you know me. Why don't you tell me who you are? And, of course, that's when they warned Jesus. My name is Legion, for we are many. I'm sure Jesus was shaking. Many didn't care. Which is unlimited power. Number four, it was an unmistakable change. Verse 15 says, those that came back from town after reporting on the dead pig said that they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they became frightened. That's amazing to me. The cutting himself with stones didn't seem to scare anybody. Running around naked didn't seem to scare anybody. Breaking chains didn't seem to scare anybody. But when they come back and he's sitting there talking to Jesus with his Petra shirt on, he's older than you, a lot of you. But when he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind, it scared him to death. There's a whole lot of people, if you go back to work tomorrow and you're just cussing up a storm like usual, mad at the whole world, they're going to think nothing of it. But there's some of you, if you went back to work tomorrow and the first person you saw, you put your arms around them and hugged them and told them, Jesus loves you and I love you. You'll have to go get the forklift and get them out of the floor. They'll be like, not him. Wow, it's Monday, and he's not mad at the world. He's sitting, and he's clothed, and in his right mind. This is called a testimony here. It's when the words that come out of your mouth match what's going on in your life. That's called a testimony. And this man didn't have to say anything. All he had to do was sit there clothed, with peace in his heart and in his right mind. And it scared them to death. Number five, there is also when Jesus shows up, sometimes there can be an unexplainable request. It says that after it was all said and done, even though they saw the man's life had been changed, 
they asked Jesus if he would please leave their coast. I, I don't know if it was because of the pigs. I don't know what the deal was, but it was just too disruptive. We think probably it was a financial thing, but if you're going to hang out here, we lost 2,000 pigs the first day you got here. We had rather you just leave our coast. And you know, this is the part that's so sad. As far as we know from the Gospels, Jesus not only did leave, but he never came back. He never came back there. He left them to raising their pigs and going on with their life. Man, I know churches never say, Jesus, we'd rather you not be here. They don't ever say it like that. Here's how they say it sometimes. Well, if we keep getting more people, we're going to buy another van. That's a, that's a nice way of saying it. You keep getting more people, buy another van. I was in a church one time, and God was really blessing, and a lot of people were getting saved. And we were baptizing about every other week. And one of the leaders in the church came to me and said, uh, you know, I, I kind of check on things around here. When you run into the guy that kind of checks on things around here, usually that's not going to be a good conversation. He's got a set of keys, you know, and he walks around with them like it's a 45 automatic. Oh, preacher, you want in that door. I got a key to that. <laughs> he told me, he said, I noticed the baptistry's coming loose from the wall in some places. Do you think we might could cut back on the frequency of baptisms? Oh, it happened. As far as I know, it's, it's still in cutback mode. That's how people tell Jesus, you know, if, 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 if you, we keep getting, I mean, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to build on? Are we gonna, what, 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 how, how, how are we going to handle it? If people keep coming and, and things like that. And, and, of course, one time I was dumb enough to suggest that, well, if we keep getting bigger, why don't we relocate? And, and, Boy, I can just tell you, that's a lead balloon. Immediately the question was, well, what do we do with the cemetery? And I was like, leave it where it is. And matter of fact, one Sunday I even preached, and I actually said this in a sermon from Luke 16. I said, well, if the rich man in hell had his way, he'd tell us, just pave the cemetery if you can reach my five brothers. And word got out. That the preacher over there is going to pave the cemetery. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing what people do here and remember and what they can forget so quickly. Years later, I was walking through the hospital. Years later, and a lady I'd never met in my life walked by me. I said, hey. She said, hey. We just kept walking, and then I heard her go, sir. And I turned around and looked, and she said, are you the pastor over at so-and-so that was going to pave the cemetery? And I was like, yes, I'm famous for something. It's really pretty sad. 
That's how we tell Jesus. You know, having you around here don't cost us a lot. I, I, I tell you this before we move to our last point. If you want the church or the life that God wants you to have, step number one, give him the one that you have now. That's why most people don't ever have the church God wants them to have because they won't give up the one they got now. They know who they are and the one they got now. Hey, they get to sing solos. What if you had 10,000 people? I bet you there'd be a, at least 1,000 of them that could sing better than you, and you might not get to sing anymore. And then what does the staff look like? And, and all of a sudden, we're a small minnow in a big pond instead of a, a shark running around in a mud hole. And, and, and that's how church people think sometimes. If you want a new life in Christ, you have to be willing to say, God, I want to give you the one I got now. This one's about kill me. I've isolated myself as best I can. I meet advice and love, no matter how tender it meets me, with rage and violence and anger. I don't want it better. You need God to heal you. Give him your life you got now. Then last of all, as we close, we meet when God meets where Satan has been, an uninhibited servant. Verse 18, Jesus started to leave and says he wanted to go with Jesus. He didn't even know where Jesus was going. But it didn't matter. Wherever you go, I want to go. All of a sudden, he's a socialite. Wherever you're going, I want to go. And Jesus said, no, you need to go home. Your family, they maybe, I don't know, maybe they prayed for him. Maybe they have worried about him. But he needs to go home to his family and tell them what great things that the Lord has done for him. And it's interesting that it says in the last verse that we read that he did go home, but he identifies exactly who it was that changed his life. And he told them all of the things that Jesus had done. Jesus had done for him. Not just some guy I met. Not some snake oil salesman. No, I met God. And he changed my life. Changed my life. Look, I don't know who you are, but I know for me, sometimes I like isolating. I, I, I like just getting away from advice, even if it's good. I, I, I like sometimes doing things that's not good for me. And sometimes I, I, I know in my heart that, God, there's a storm going on in there. I, I, I'm prone to worry. I'm, I'm prone to depression. I have fought it all of my life. But I, I can just tell you, and I, I'd love for God to just make it all go away, but he has walked with me through it. My goodness. When we sat down at Thanksgiving this week at 
at Thanksgiving dinner, it was two years ago to the very day that I lost my arm and almost lost my life. Man, I have a lot to be thankful for. But sometimes those little storms inside of me that rage, I need you to help me, God. I need God to steal that. I'll bet you if you were honest, half this church could stand to your feet right now and say, yeah, and I need it too. I'm not asking you to. But you could stand up and say, I need it. I need it. It's tearing me apart. It's already separated me from my family. It's already caused me enough trouble. I need help. Let's go to, prayer, go to the Lord in prayer and talk to the one who can help us. God, we come to you right now. And Lord, we ask you, please, God, please help us, Lord. God, we have so much to be thankful for, and yet here we are asking you again for help. But God, we don't have anywhere else to turn. There's not a button to push. There's not a gadget that we can order from Amazon this week that'll fix it, Lord. There's not some new legislation that'll come along that'll solve it. God, we live in a world that is raging like a hurricane, and God, sometimes in our own hearts, selfishness, anger, frustration, a lack of patience, self-destructive behavior, pain for those that love us most. Lord, it rages in our heart. Help us, God. Help us, Lord. You've come to our coast today. You have visited this fellowship today. Lord, we dare not ask you to leave. We beg you to stay, God. Take this church and take us. Use us however you see fit, God. If we're not as imported anymore, good. We want you to be imported, God. We want to honor and glorify you. I pray you'll help us, Lord. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.